The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit lifebaptistchurch.com. There is a story of a brilliant young man who came to Socrates asking for wisdom. And Socrates could see the potential in this guy and simply said, follow me. So he led him through the streets and out the city and along the seashore. And at one particular point, he begins to walk down into the surf, and the young man just followed along behind him. And once they got about chest deep in the crashing waves, Socrates looks at the young man and says, what do you want? The guy said, wisdom. And with that, Socrates took his hands and he placed them on the young man's shoulders and he pressed him down under the waves and he held him there for the next 30 seconds. Then he led him back up and he said, what do you want? And the young man said, wisdom, sir. So Socrates takes his hands, puts him back on his shoulders and he presses him back under the waves. And this time it went 30 seconds, 40 seconds. And then he led him back up and he said, what do you want? And again, the young man said, wisdom, sir, I want wisdom. So with that, Socrates took his hands, placed them back on his shoulders, and he pressed him down. This time it went 50 seconds, 60 seconds under the water, and then he released him and let him come back up. And he said, what do you want? And without hesitation, the young man said, air. All I want is air. And with that, Socrates walks back up on the shore. The young man followed. And Socrates turned and looked at him, and he said, When you want wisdom the same way you just wanted air, you'll have wisdom. It's a very simple lesson that's being taught here. Wisdom is available when you really want it. I want you to listen to what it says in James chapter 1, verse 5. It says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. Socrates might have been on to something here, and that is wisdom is available. God promises to give wisdom to anyone who is willing to ask him for it. It's a promise from God. And it's not just a promise that he's going to give us wisdom, but he also says he will promise to give us wisdom generously and without reproach or without criticism. I'm going to explain a little bit of that in a few moments. So here's the question that I have for each of us. It's very personal, so just apply it to yourself. Here's the question. Does our life reflect the wisdom that is available to us? Does our life reflect the wisdom that's available to us? Are we taking God up on his offer of wisdom? Every single day, we're going to be facing decisions that need the wisdom of God. And there's going to be different decisions that we have to make at different seasons in our life. For example, at one point in your life, one season, it might be that your question that you're asking of God is, who should I marry? Maybe at another season of your life, after you've been married, a part of your question for God is, how can I be a great parent? I want to start a family, but how can I be a great parent? I want to protect my kids. I want to love my kids, but I don't want to hover over top of my kids. I want them to grow, but I want to do it right. How do I do it right? It might be at another point in your life that you're saying, what am I supposed to do with my life? What's the right career path for me? Should I take this job or should I take that job? It might be at another point in your life that you're praying about buying a house. And maybe your question to God at that time is, do I buy a house on the high end of my budget or should I play it conservative and buy a house on the lower end of my budget? Or or maybe you're at a place financially right now where you're saying, what's going to be best for my family? 
This year, should we take a vacation or should we take that money and put it into savings? You see, all of us are going to be making those types of decisions every single day in our life. There's going to be tens of thousands of decisions that we're going to make. And every single time, the situation sets up the exact same way. So this is in your notes. When I say it sets up the same way, I'm going to give you four words. Here it is. There's going to be a situation that's going to come. There's going to be information. There's going to be a decision. And there's going to be an outcome. Every single situation is going to set up this way. All the scenarios, all the things that we are needing the wisdom of God on, it's going to set up like this every time. So let me walk you through what these look like. You become aware of a situation. It doesn't have to be good or bad. It's just a situation. It's now in the forefront of your mind, and you're thinking about it. You're processing this. And with that situation, you want to get all the information that you can get. So you begin to go into information gathering mode. And sometimes you get good information, sometimes complete, sometimes incomplete or bad information. But then you have to make a decision about the situation based on the information that you have. And you know that time is coming, and sometimes you're starting to panic because you don't want to make the wrong decision. And you're wondering, do I have all the information that I need about this? And after you make the decision, it's going to lead to an outcome, and you are hoping and sometimes praying that the outcome is what you desire. Every scenario sets up the same way. Situation, information, decision, outcome. Let me tell you why that is difficult and why sometimes that's not the complete picture. There are times whenever we find ourselves in situations where you don't know the outcome until after the decision has already been made. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to go in, make the decision, and say, I know how this is going to turn out. There's other times that you'll be in certain situations that you have never experienced before. It might be one time in your life you're ever going to be in that set of circumstances, in that situation, having to make a decision. And when you find yourself in those places, there's no warm-up for it. it. It might even be that you don't even know somebody who's gone through the same things that you're about to go through right now. Also, sometimes we get bad information or incomplete information. And we're trying to make a decision, and we're not even making a decision with the facts. Other times, we find ourselves in a place where we're trying to listen to the counsel of others, and we're only more confused after listening than what we were before. And finally, here's one of those ones. It's kind of personal again, but here's one of the issues. If we're honest, a lot of times we find ourselves making a decision not because it's what's best due to the information, but we make a decision based on what is convenient for what we want to deal with at that point. You know what's missing in this scenario? Wisdom. That's missing. In fact, I, I want you to write wisdom and just kind of put an arrow. Wisdom fits between the information as well as the decision. It's wisdom that gives us a better perspective of the situation. It is wisdom that helps us process through the information the right way. It is wisdom that helps us gain a better perspective, the perspective of God, to, to be able to see what God might be doing in that moment. So here's the great news. Wisdom is available. It's always available to us. That is fantastic. When you're having to make a decision and you're hoping for the best possible outcome and there's a situation you've never seen and you don't even know if you've got all the information, wisdom is what we need in that moment. So I want us to personalize it once again. 
what situation are you facing? Situation are you facing where you are about to make a decision with the information that you have and you were just hoping for the right outcome? What situation are you in where the wisdom of God could radically change the decision that you're about to make? And maybe you're sitting there and something on the inside of you is like, wait, wait, don't make the decision yet. Something on the inside of you is thinking to yourself like, something's not right. I'm not sure about this. I want to make the right decision. I just don't know how to do it at this time. That is why wisdom is absolutely important. Today, if you feel as though you could benefit from the wisdom of God for a situation you're facing and the decision you have to make, that I want to encourage you, follow along with me. I've got two passages today that we're going to go through. The first is found over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. The second one is going to be over in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. I want to speak today on the promise of his wisdom. Now, as you're finding your place in the text, let me take just a moment and go through and kind of set things up. Today is week number three in our message series, The Journey of a Lifetime. And we're talking about embracing life through the promises of God. So I want to kind of go back. If you've not been a part of the series, I want to get everybody caught up to date on what's taking place. So on week one, we talked about the big story of God and how it is crucial to understand the story if we're going to join God in this journey. It is when we understand the story of God that all of a sudden we have an awareness of what God is doing around us. But it's not just that we are aware of God's big story around us. We become aware of who we truly are. That is, it is in God's big story that we find ourselves. We find our identity. We find our purpose. We find ourselves. So I shared this statement. Our best life is found in God's big story. And on that first week, I gave a series truth. And this same truth is going to apply for every one of the messages that we go through. Here it is. God's promises are about knowing, receiving, and becoming. That is, God gives us promises so that we know what he wants us to know, we receive what he wants us to have, and we become who he created us to be. So on week number two, we were focused on the promise of God's presence. That is, when we are aware that God is always with us, it changes the way we take the journey. That is, when we know that God is there, that there's nothing we can do to escape the presence of God. When we know that, we are willing to walk further and to submit more and to trust deeper and to give freely and to continue to take on greater challenges because we know that God is with us. So I asked this question last week. What would you do today? If you knew for sure God was with you. That now brings us to week number three. It's what we're getting into today. Today we're studying the promise of God's wisdom. The journey of life is going to require us to make tens of thousands of different decisions that will affect the quality, the direction, and the impact of our lives. So how can we walk, or said differently, how can we journey daily in the wisdom of God? That's where we're going to pick up right now over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Here's what it says, very simply. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask today that you would allow our hearts, our minds to 
be so focused on what you're teaching through this text that it seems as though it is speaking directly to situations and to decisions that we're having to make right now. God, would you pour out your grace, your love, your mercy, your truth, your wisdom on people at this time? In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the question that we just ask. How can we walk or journey daily in the wisdom of God? And as you read through the book of Ephesians, you'll find that there's multiple places along the way that it talks about walking. And every time it's talking about walking, it's not just talking about physically moving from one location to the next. It's talking about the habitual pattern of a person's life, the traits that define a person's daily existence. So here's a couple of those different walk statements that are found in Ephesians. It tells us to walk in a worthy manner, chapter 4, verse 11. It says that we are not to walk as the world walks, chapter 4, verse 17. It says we're to walk in love, chapter 5, verse 2. We are to walk as children of light, chapter 5, verse 8. And now for our text, we are to walk in wisdom, chapter 5, verse 15. So remember the context. Walking is to be our habitual pattern of life. This is how it is to be defined day by day. It's the traits that define how we operate day after day. That is, we are to day after day walk in wisdom. We are to be defined by being children of light. We are day after day. Our habitual pattern is that we are to walk in love. That's what Ephesians is telling us to do. So now let's become very specific to what this is telling us about wisdom. The text is telling us that wisdom should characterize our regular, habitual, daily, moment-by-moment pattern of life. Now you're like, okay, what, why is that so important? Here's the reason. There is a misconception that we need common sense for daily decisions, and we need wisdom for really big decisions. That is... Wisdom of God, yeah, that's, that's great, but you really need that when there's something major on the line. Based on what we find in Ephesians, we need wisdom moment by moment. There's nothing wrong with common sense. In fact, I think common sense often is wisdom being lived out. But the text is teaching us in verse number 15, you need wisdom for all decisions. So listen to this. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. Now, there's a lot of definitions that are out there, but by and large, generally speaking, wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. Here's why I say that. We cannot apply what we have not received. So here's a sobering thought, and this is why I want to get this right up front in this message on wisdom. Christians who refuse to study the truth of God's Word are Christians who reject the truths of God's Word are those who have no ability to walk in the wisdom of God. Wisdom is the proper application of truth. So think about it like this. There are going to be nice, sincere, wonderful Christians who will make poor decision after poor decision, not because wisdom is unavailable, but because they have rejected the truth that leads to wisdom. So here's Big truth, number one, it's in your notes. The path of wisdom is paved in the truths of God. Before we even get started on this thing, we have to stop and say, am I willing to spend time in the truths of God's Word? 
Because if the path of wisdom is going to be paved with the, the truths of God, then I cannot walk the path if I have not yet taken the time to understand and to study God's truth as it is revealed in his word. Now, let's go through and read James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Here's what it says. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Uh, underline anything if you have that in your Bibles. And it says in verse number 8, Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, if we were to go back a couple of verses that just preceded this, back into verses 2 through 4, we would find that James is speaking about difficult, unpleasant, and confusing situations, it's in your notes, situations that we find ourselves in. Now, these situations are going to test us and try us at every single level. And what we find is that James tells us, even in those difficult, confusing, hard, problematic situations, he says, even in those, you're to count it all joy. Now, it's not that we count it all joy because we like the situation and it feels good. It is that we count it all joy because we recognize that God uses those circumstances to mature us. It tells us in the text that the testing of our faith produces endurance, and God uses that endurance so that we are perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So here's a, a statement I wrote down in my notes. God's purpose for us, for us, for us, not overall, there could be many purposes that God is using in the circumstances. But based on this text, God's purpose for us in the trials is maturity through the trials. So I want you to look now at the first word that is found in verse number 5. It says, but. There's always a but. But. This is actually a great but. I don't know if you can say that as a Baptist preacher. This is a great but. This is a but you want to hang around and focus on a little bit. Here's what it says in the text. It says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask about it. Stop right there for just a moment. I don't have time to get into it, but he just gave us a promise back in verses 2 through 4. And that is, when you're going through these trials, he is going to use it to create endurance, and endurance will leave you perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What a great promise to hold on to. Now the person's like, yeah, but how do I go through it? He's like, I got you covered on that. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. God wants to give his wisdom to his children. Now look at the phrase, let him ask. It's actually an imperative. Here's what that's, why that's important. It's not just good advice like ask God for wisdom when you're in trouble. It is a divine command. It's mandatory. He doesn't even give us an option. 
He says, let him ask. I'm commanding you to ask. Although God has unlimited wisdom, we find that over in Romans chapter 11. And although God is more than willing to give his wisdom to his children, he still wants us to ask. Why? Because there's something in the process of asking that reminds us we're not in control. There's something in the process of asking God for wisdom that we recognize our limitations and the fact that we don't have all the information. There's something in the process of asking God for his wisdom that reminds us that God alone is the one who is in control and it is God alone who we can go to and say, God, I need you. I'm pouring out my heart to you. There's something about asking God where we're basically just saying, God, I need your help. We're seeking the wisdom of God. Now, let's pause here for just a minute. Why do we need to ask God for wisdom when we're going through trials? It's always great to ask for wisdom. I agree. But he specifically says ask for wisdom. Why not ask for strength? Why not ask for patience? Why not ask that God will give us grace? Hey, here's one. Why not ask for deliverance? Like, God, get me out of this. Make it stop. Why ask for wisdom? That is your big truth number two. Without God's wisdom, we waste the very circumstances God is using to mature us, and here it is, and keep us on the path of wisdom. Let me say that again. Without God's wisdom, we waste the very circumstances God is using in our lives to mature us and to keep us on the path of wisdom. We recognize that believers don't always know how to respond well in difficult times. We recognize it. it's hard to figure out how do I find joy and rejoice in the context of suffering. We understand that we need God's wisdom to reframe the moment. We need God's wisdom to help us see things beyond our perspective and maybe to see things from God's perspective. We need God's wisdom so that we at least get a glimpse of the fact that God has lovingly, perfectly, sovereignly designed these circumstances for our good and for His glory. In order to see that, you're not going to see it yourself. You need the wisdom of God. It's entirely too easy when you're caught up in emotion to see things from a very limited perspective. It's entirely too easy whenever emotions are running high and you're looking at the size of the problem and there's frustration that's building because things aren't working out. It's entirely too uh, easy at that moment to have a myopic view of God's perspective. It's a narrow view. It's a, a, a nearsighted view. It, it's a close view. You, you don't see the big picture of what God is doing all around you. That's why we need the wisdom of God. Without the wisdom of God, we waste the circumstances God is using to mature us and to keep us on the path of wisdom. Now notice the extent of the wisdom that he wants to offer. God gives wisdom generously and without reproach. The term generously, it carries the idea of single heart or, or doing something unconditionally and without bargaining. 
The next word there is reproach. It means to severely reprimand or it means to criticize. So in this context, take those pieces together. It means in that moment when you come and you ask God for wisdom, He is not going to come to you and say, man, you should have gotten your stuff together before now. Why why are you asking me for it at this point? He's not going to reproach you. He's not going to criticize you. He is going to give it generously without bargaining, without putting a condition on it. He's going to come to you and basically say, here's my wisdom. I've been waiting for you to ask for wisdom in this situation. Why is it important that we take the time to cover that? Listen to this. James is chipping away at the false narrative that people have about God. And we all have a false narrative at some degree. You might say, "Mm, no, my theology is great. Your theology might be great. But what you'll find is there's certain things that you'll walk through in life where although you know what you know theologically about God, it's still hard to apply that in the moment. Sometimes it is because of believing a false narrative that makes us come to a place that we don't ask God for wisdom or we don't believe God's going to give us the wisdom that he's offering even when we ask it. So what are some of the things in the false narrative? What are the types of things that we say that kind of get in the way of receiving the wisdom of God? We say things like this. I've messed up a lot in my life. I am so unworthy and undeserving of the wisdom of God, I'm not even going to ask him for it. Well, if we come back to an issue of who is deserving and undeserving of any favor of God, that pretty much is going to rule out all of us. In fact, none of us are deserving of the favor of God. That's a part of His grace and mercy that He's extended to us. Sometimes people say something like this, my situation is not big enough for me to have to ask God for wisdom. It's it's a small thing, no big deal. God's like out there governing the universe. He doesn't want me to bring my little stuff and bother Him with this. He, He wants me to go work it out myself. That kind of leads into another idea. Sometimes people will say, After I've done everything I can do, then I'm going to ask for the wisdom of God. Sometimes we do a lot more than what we should. And here's another part of the false narrative. Sometimes people will say, I feel so awkward about asking God for wisdom because I'm actually in the situation now because I ignored his wisdom before. It feels awkward to go back and ask God for something when I know I'm here because of disobedience. The text says, God gives wisdom generously and without reproach, without criticism. In other words, he's saying, I want to give this to you. Don't don't create a false narrative around me. Don't, Don't think that because of how you see the situation, that's how I see the situation. He's telling us in his word that if we lack wisdom, let us come and ask of him, and he will give it to us generously and without reproach. But there is kind of a catch. And not like a catch in the sense that he's trying to hide something in the fine print, but there is a way in which we are to ask him. Look at what it says in verse number 6. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. If a believer doubts that God will give him or her wisdom, it's a sign of immaturity. I I don't mean that to sound condescending or hurtful. 
What I do mean is to grab your attention and say that when we don't believe what God has declared, it is a sign of immaturity. That immaturity also shows up further in the text, and that is it talks about us being tossed about here and there by the waves. It it means that we're unstable. We're not grounded as we should be. That immaturity will also, according to the New Testament, lead us to a place where we'll be carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming based on Ephesians 4, 14. Think about it like this. When we no longer take God at his word, when we no longer can trust that God is going to do what God said he's going to do, when we don't trust the character of God, listen, things go from bad to worse to worse still. It doesn't get any better after that. If you can't trust God that he's going to keep his word, who can you trust? Verse number 7, it says, For that man, the one who is doubting the promise of God, that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Underline anything. That's a good one to underline. Why? He's double-minded. Although this person claims to be a believer, listen to this, their actions reveal that they're walking habitually. This is the way they're acting. They are walking as a functional unbeliever. It's not that they're recanting their faith and say, I no longer believe in God, but they are acting as though God is not trustworthy, God is not there, and that God is unable somehow to address the needs that they have. So here it is. If you pray for God's wisdom, and then you doubt God's promise to give you wisdom, do not expect his wisdom. That's what the text says. It says, that man ought not expect anything from the Lord. Somebody's like, man, that's hard. Like, why would God do that? Well, basically, it's the equivalent of the person saying, God, I hear what you're saying. I just don't believe you. It's an attack against the character of God. So let's bring it to a scenario that maybe, I don't know, hits a little bit closer to home. Let's say in your house, your teenage son comes to you and says, Dad, Mom, whoever it might be in the moment, uh, would you help me with my homework? And you say, sure, I'd love to. Let me finish this next two minutes of a conversation. I'll be right there. To which your son says, "Mm, I'm not buying it. In fact, maybe it's because of how you said it or the fact you just didn't stop what you're doing right now in order to address this. I don't think you're going to keep your word. I don't think you're going to help me with my homework in a couple of minutes. In fact, I just don't trust you in this at all. I I, I hear what you're saying. I just don't believe what you're saying. But by the way, would you mind if I get the keys to the car? Okay. If that's happening in your house, how many of you as a parent would say, I really appreciate you questioning my character like that. I feel so loved right now. Thank you for just sticking with your feelings as opposed to listening to what I just promised you. I'm so glad that you're so mature, that you're, you're not willing to listen to me. You're, you're just going to feel it out yourself. So not only did I enjoy that so much that I will be there in just a moment to help you with your homework, but sure, take the car and grab you a couple 20s out of my wallet on the way out. 
It's not going to happen in my house. Here's what's going to happen in my house. I'm going to say, hope you enjoy the F on your homework, and you can drive the car when you can buy a car. Punk. Leave it right there. Put an exclamation point on that thing. That, that's, that's where I'm at. Because my thought is, if we would not accept that same type of treatment in our home, and by the way, I recognize we're not God. He is sovereign. He is gracious. He's far more loving than we could ever be. If we would be offended with that, why do we think God would not be offended with that? It's an attack against his character. When he promises, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask me, and I'll give it to him generously and without reproach. But he says, if you're going to ask, you actually need to believe I'm going to keep my word. Because if you don't believe I'm going to keep my word, don't expect anything from me. That, that's, that's what the text is telling us here. If God gives us a promise in Scripture, we are to pray in full assurance of faith that God is going to uphold his promise. I remember an old-time preacher, he, he said this, if God tells you to buy the moon, sign the lease, he can make the payments. In other words, when God tells you something, you act on it. You don't try to reason it all through in your mind. You act upon it. And the passage is clearly saying, ask God for wisdom and he will give wisdom to you. Period. It's a promise from God. He didn't stutter. He didn't mumble through his words. In fact, he was bold enough to put his promise in writing. Here it is. Because he is faithful enough to keep his promise regardless of your circumstances. It's in the word. Will you believe the promise of his wisdom? So let's bring it all back together. Does your life reflect the wisdom that is available to you? Do you find yourself in a situation where you're gathering information, you know a decision needs to be made, you're hoping for the best possible outcome, but you're not stopping for the wisdom of God to be inserted into that process? Is that where you're at? Remember big truth number one. The path of wisdom is paved in the truths of God. We cannot apply what we have not received. And Christians who refuse to study the Word of God or they reject the truths of the Word of God are those who have no ability to walk in wisdom. You cannot live out what you have not yet received. Big truth number two. Without God's wisdom, we waste the very circumstances God is using to mature us and to keep us on the path of wisdom. We need God's wisdom for all of these decisions that we're making every single day. We need God's wisdom to help us see things from his perspective and to reframe the moment. And here it is, continue with him on the journey of a lifetime. At any point along the way, when we're seeking the wisdom of God, and then God says, I'll give it to you, and then we say, mm, I don't believe it. You just stalled out in the journey. You're not going to experience what he wants to provide because you have rejected a key truth, a key promise that he wants to give. The journey of a lifetime is going to require that we make tens of thousands of decisions that will affect the quality, the direction, and the impact of our lives. We need the wisdom of God, and we need to accept the wisdom of God by faith. Wisdom is available to those who really want it. Do you want God's wisdom in your life?
He says, ask me. Are you sure you want wisdom? Ask him. His promise, I'll give it generously and without reproach. What an incredible promise from God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask today that you would allow your word, your promise, your process to be one that each person who is listening to this, who's watching this, they will be able to immediately discern, here's the situation I'm in, here's the information I have, here's the decision that I know I have to make, here's the wisdom of God that I need so that I experience the best possible outcome. God, I pray that you would make this test, this text sing and come alive in the hearts of people. Lord, I will thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.